Blog Talk Radio.
Father, thank you, Father. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for bringing us through the things that we are about to go through. It's very, very imminent. Um, Father, we just pray that you will help each one of our spirits be able to grasp a hold of the events that we see happening around the world, be able to do a three-way match as best as we possibly can uh, to that and the Holy Bible. To understand that there are so, so many out there that uh, have different things that they feel powerfully in their hearts uh, indicate various timelines. Uh, Father, we pray that we as brothers and sisters in Christ will always be able to just love on one another, uh, regardless of, of the very, very many uh, ideas and opinions that so many of our, fellow, you know, again, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ have and um and be able to embrace the things which we know are imminent because of what you said lord jesus in the olivet discourse it's so utterly clear uh, the things that are happening around the world today we know that you father are he who restrains ultimately and the, the angels of heaven and the Holy Spirit, the prayers of the saints, really is all combined into one big power structure that is holding back the evil from wiping us out right now. If it could, it would. Father, we praise you for the divine protections that we have that are afforded us through Psalm 91, uh, Luke 10, verse 19, Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark uh, 16, 16, 17, and 18. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for giving us the details that you did give us in the Olivet Discourse that we're able to map them over to empirical events that are happening across the world and know that we are in the fig tree generation, which means that we are leaving very soon. Father, we praise you and thank you for every opportunity that you have given us to be able to gather together electronically, knowing that um, that day's probably going to go away pretty soon. 
And I pray, Father God, that there are those out there that have the technological prowess to be able to get themselves a little teeny-weeny, inexpensive, uh, portable MP3 player and maybe download some of the programs, some of the prayer vigils, maybe the emergency preparation prayer vigil that we just did this last Friday. Download them onto a little, uh, you know, battery-operated MP3 player that they would have access to some of this information that will be encouraging to them when the lights go out. We know they are. Father, we praise you for the days that we're in right now, and we thank you for your divine touch of uh, that anointing of grace that we should all be praying for fervently, uh, for an abundance of grace, more grace than probably has ever been bestowed upon your people in the history of the world. We need that now more than ever. We know that there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but we do not know that that outpouring of the Holy Spirit will necessarily be given to those who are taken in the barley harvest. It may be an outpouring that is uh, held back and dumped down upon the survivors that are here uh, during the wheat harvest and the day of the Lord for 40 days after the three days of darkness in the midst of the sixth seal. Father, we praise you and thank you for helping us to understand the timeline that we are in right now. We pray that we will continue to love each other and just, and I mean that from the very bottom of our heart, and love you and fall in love with you, continue to fall in love with you, and continue to draw in to a more intimate relationship with our Lord Jesus, because right now it's getting so close to us. Standing before you, Lord, at the marriage supper, we just praise your name and we pray always, in Jesus' name, to be found worthy to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and stand before you, Lord. We know and believe and see much evidence to indicate that we're going to have to go through a little bit of hard times for our departure. We pray that you will help and help to anoint us and to quicken unto our spirits that which is necessary and that which we are able to do uh, for preparational purposes, knowing also that you are going to, just like you did with um, Elijah and feeding him through the, crow, uh, I guess, ravens or crows, uh, I pray in the name of Jesus, Father God, that you will bestow upon us those kinds of gifts and uh, just, I don't know what to call them, just supernatural outpourings of of, uh, food and and water and things that some people may not have easy access to because of their living situation. And those of us who are able to share, we pray in the name of Jesus that that we are not given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love. And that, and a sound mind, and and that that will uh, set us free to to be completely comfortable with sharing all of the... the, all of the wonderful things, Father God, that you have allowed some some of us to be able to access, and many of us not don't you know many of the believers out there don't have the money. They have children to feed. They have single uh, apartments, uh, apartment situations with no balconies, and they're going to need our help. And I, I just pray, Father, in a divine and holy way, that you will place those people in front of us, that we can stand on holy ground and and know through our spirit and through that spirit of love that you have outpoured upon us through our love of you and the existence of the spirit of the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Godhead in us, that we will have no hesitation whatsoever to share our electricity, to share our generator power, to share the food that you have given us uh, through your kindness and supporting us in our, you know, maintaining our jobs in very difficult situations. If it wasn't for your blessings on us, Father, many of us could be in much more 
more horrible situations, almost Skid Row-like. And there are many believers who are in the, in those groups, and we have to trust you, Father, and we will, and we do, uh, to put those people in our path that we're able to collectively across the entire world, find, you know, run across them and be able to touch their lives and help them as the days grow darker. We give you all the praise, honor, worship, and glory. We see the time is running very, very short, and we just thank you, Father. We thank you for every moment of intimacy, moment of of being able to share, uh, you know, the global situation with our fellow brothers and sisters across the world so that we can all prayerfully be at the ready because, uh, you know, when things start to break and that dam of uh, end times events lets loose, uh, it's, it's going to be a shock to a lot of people that are just completely they they will be blown away but i know that i know father god what your scripture says and 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 at midnight we will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments because without them so many would not make it into glory and we praise your holy name for when your judgments are in the earth the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness isaiah 26 i do believe it's 26 9 i think all right praise god i have to double check that but anyway we thank you jesus for this radio show we thank you jesus for quickening under the people's hearts what it is they need to to uh absorb through the spiritual presence of of the holy spirit in our walks each and every day let us not let, let us not be sluggards and, and, and wait too long to be ready for some bumpy roads that uh, we may have to endure for a little while. In the name of the Lord Jesus, help each and every one of us, even those of us uh, it, it, that are in um, less blessed situations, to be able to prepare to some degree. Uh, and we pray for divine protections, uh, Psalm 91. For especially for our fellow brothers and sisters who do not have single family dwellings that are in apartment complexes and may have more difficulty preparing for the days ahead. We just pray that your blessing, your angels, your anointing, your supernatural power will fill their pots and pans with uh, dinners, that they will have the faith to put that empty pot on the top of the stove and pray over it. Note that the next morning when they wake up, it'll be full of food because that's our Father and we love you, Lord, and we thank you for every opportunity that you will give us to serve you in the days ahead. And now to him, our Lord Jesus, who's able to keep us from stumbling and, and present us faultless someday before the presence of your glory, Father God, with exceeding joy. And to you, Father God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Amen.
God, thank you, Jesus. Okay, first and foremost, I want to set the record straight here. We bring on guests because they have things that we can glean from them and things that they have right, but there are also things that they have wrong. We all see the Bible's very clear about certain things. And when it uses the word all, it it's a pretty powerful word. And when we all see through the mirror dimly, we all do. All of us. Over the years, over the last uh, 12 years of doing this radio show, we have brought on more than 20 guests that have had very, very interesting and, um, uh, you know, know, I will say indeed that they are anointed. I, I will also say indeed that they have different ways of calculating things, looking at the scripture, trying to figure things out timeline wise. And over the last 12 years of those 20, pretty much all of them have been incorrect. Now, you know, but there's always, always, it doesn't matter. I could literally go back in time. I could sit here and list by name every single one of the people that we brought on this program and their timelines that have been incorrect. And we could go back and review those radio shows and find a lot of stuff that they each had right. So the trick is to be able to love our fellow brothers and sisters and glean. I love this. I I take this from Sister Terry. I love the word. Glean from the various guests, the things that are exciting, the things that, uh, I don't know how to say it, that spark our spirit and help us to be able to understand that there are always pieces of various belief systems that have Great merit, but there are also parts of the belief systems of many of the guests that are, well, they're flat out incorrect. Now, all that being said, um, anyone who is a normal, regular listener in this program understands what I think, but I'm not telling you to gobble it down like a big, you know, blueberry pie. Uh, The difference between me, (laughs) okay, as you, as any regular listener would know, And anyone else out there is that I don't grab a hold of a doctrine necessarily. I will show you the scripture. I will let you arrive at your own conclusion. I feel strongly that, you know, what the Lord showed me. But I but here's the thing. The things that the Lord has shown me, none of them are rigid. Uh, I mean, some of them are rigid. Like, I know that the day of the Lord is in the sixth seal. There, you know, I, I know that we're in the seals right now. I know that Jesus has popped the seals and that the scrolls are rolling out in parallel. We can look around us. You can see it right now. So the scrolls, the, we're deep into the seals right now. We're entering into World War III. We, we, we're, we're coming up on the day of the Lord. Planet X is messing with this planet and causing horrific weather patterns to occur, which, is, which, and unfortunately, 99.9999999% of the people out there don't understand the planet X dynamic. 
So, so it makes it it makes it uh, especially makes all of those people especially vulnerable. Anyway, to false information narratives, and you know, and, and everyone feels very strongly about what they think. The difference, as you know, as far as I, you know, the way that I try to present information to people are look around you. Really, at the end of the day, just look around you. And that says it all. I mean, it it really does say it all. And anyway, on that note, without getting too wrapped up in all that, remember to glean if we ever bring a guest on. You know, I will say that bringing guests on nowadays is harder than ever before. Um, There are – it's just just accept that I get feedback from Sister Nancy. And let me tell you, the times people are afraid. They're afraid to come public. They hear about the CBDCs. And it injects fear into their heart. And um, there's a lot of other reasons and dynamics that munge the pool of opportunities as far as that goes um, a little bit. And, uh, you know, it, it just it's just one of those things. Uh, so I to my dismay, um, uh, there will be more programs that I will have to do solo. Um, I may choose, although I don't really want to because I, I think things are happening so fast right now, I have to stay live. I don't know if it means that I will do, when I do the solo shows, that I'll sh- reduce the amount of time that the show lasts. Maybe because when I'm doing it by myself, running it for three hours is not always possible. But there, are, but if the news, if the uh, impactful end times, all of it discourse aligned news – continues at the magnitude and intensity and the speed at which it is occurring at this time, and that maintains itself, then it would be trivial for me to be able to do solo shows to fill in the gaps as I continuously get feedback from Sister Nancy. It used to be once upon a time, back in 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, etc., used to be we would send out a request for a guest to come on the show through YouTube, through Facebook, through whatever, whatever, social media platform or whatever, you know, or just email. And the answer was, I would say nine out of 10, eight out of 10 at worst case would, would just be like, yeah, absolutely. What a blessing. Praise God. I mean, the list that we ha- we've had Michael Heiser on multiple times. Now he's in heaven. Actually, really, when you think about it, the list of people that we've had on this, Chu Thomas, Chu Thomas, heaven is so real. Uh, this was the last radio show she did before she went home to Jesus. And L.V. Zapata had gone to heaven at one point and actually met up with Chu Thomas. And it was funny, he said on this radio show that she looked surprised when she saw him, which to me doesn't, you know, that's just, why wouldn't you? I mean, I, I just can't even imagine it. It just sounds so cool. And I want to be, I want to be gone. So I pray in the name of Jesus that, uh, you know, we will escape all these things that are about to come to pass because it, we can all see the things that are that are happening around us. And, and um, it, it really doesn't leave uh, any, uh, what would you call it, um, anyone who's confused or thinks there's an alternate timeline or thinks that the things that we're talking about on this program and the timeline associated with what we project on this program is in error – Boy, write me at jbaptist777 at gmail.com and explain to me why. 
because it seems like we're doing three hours of unimpeachable, empirical, news-based, backed. I mean, these things are happening. They're happening now. Okay, these are verifiable. And when it's verifiable from some, so many different sources, guess what? There is no way you can decipher things any differently. When you have a three-way match, empirical information happening now matches the Holy Bible and then matches the, you know, the, the Occam's Razor uh, understanding. Occam's Razor is basically a principle whereby the most simplest, the simplest answer is usually the most correct one. Now, now, but you know what? We don't have to worry about any of that stuff. We don't have to get a bee in our bonnet about the timeline because God's taking care of that for us. It's right here. It's right now. We are experiencing it. We have entered the sorrows period. It's not the beginning of sorrow. Well, we could say that we're still in the beginning of sorrows. I don't I think sorrow's period will probably be, if you were to put a dividing line, when Jesus said this is the beginning of sorrows, and what's that imply? Well, it implies that there's going to be a sorrow's period. And when I look at all the events and the timeline of events, which is very simple, I'm a literalist. When the Bible says this happens first, second, third, now the only thing I had to correct myself on was the Lord revealing to me that he can break the seals, but the scrolls have the content in them, and they can roll out in parallel, which is exactly what is happening now. It's empirical. Empirical means that you can touch it. It's not philosophical. It's not some sort of uh, eschatological munging of the Scripture and all that kind of stuff. It's right there. It's a timeline. It's just as clear as a bell, and we're living it. We're living it. I uh, texted. I texted Brother Sammy Mwangi and warned him about the outbreak of massive riots in Kenya because he goes there all the time. And he's over in Africa right now. And he texted me back and he said, yeah, we heard about it. Nine people are dead already. They're putting up wells still for other people so they can get water. Praise God. Um, and let me tell you something. To seed into pipesinternational.org, P-I-P-E-S, Partnership for Indigenous People. Okay, P-I-P-E-S, like pipes on a house, pipesinternational.org. To seed into that is, is a very big win for the kingdom, and I'm going to tell you why. I don't want this to sound any way but the way it is. When, because of the imperialistic way that Africa has been treated over the thousands of years of, you know, and who knows how long, but but when I say imperialistic, France and the British Empire, et cetera, and now now the Chinese, et cetera, but particularly France and the Great Britain especially have um, they are well known historically for conquering major parts of Africa and then extorting them to for riches for riches, and beating them and enslaving them and doing horrible things to them. So, of course, their, 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 their remembrance, their remembrance of the white man coming down upon them across Africa is very keen, and they pass it down through their uh, tribal knowledge. 
Okay. Now, what that means is, unfortunately, but it's true, when missionaries such as John G. Lake, et cetera, go over to Africa to do whatever it is that, you know, the, um, it's just not as effective as it is when someone like Brother Sammy Wangi, who is born in Africa, goes over there. That testimony, that testimony of Jesus coming from Brother Sammy has a 10,000 times a greater effect on bringing people to the Lord than any of the missionaries that would swarm on Africa from other countries for that very reason, because they don't have that inherent distrust. Understand? So again, uh, and you never hear from Sammy, oh yeah, 10,000 people came and accepted Jesus. No. When Sammy talked, he's like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, we had 30 people come over and yes, they accepted Jesus. You know, he, he, he never exaggerates. He's totally 100% true. And I, I, I just wanted to let you know that. All right. Praise God. All right. Anyway, all that being said, um, let's go ahead and, oh boy, do we have a lot of information. Father, in the name of Jesus, I don't want to hold up Sister Terry. So let us quicken unto my spirit in the name of Jesus what I can share and what I can't, because I don't want to hold her time up. And if there's time afterwards, I doubt, I don't think so, and I don't want there to be. We can just roll stuff forward. I just pray that you will quicken that under my spirit due to the fact that we have so much information. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Kids, are you ready? All right, kids. Why did it get so hot in the baseball stadium after the game? Because all of the fans left. And they didn't have any D-cell fans. <laughs> right, kids? <laughs> All right. Praise God. What do you call a train carrying bubble gum? A choo-choo train. <laughs> kids, a choo-choo train, right? <laughs> For me, too. I kind of like that one. You, pro- you all probably think I read these in uh, ahead. Of- I don't. I, I'm just reading. But whatever. Kids, why did the gym close down? Working out in the gym, right, kids? <laughs> all right. And now, straight into the news. Praise God. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So again, if you haven't uh, taken the time to listen to the prayer vigil emergency preparation program that we did last Friday, it's a good listen. I've uh, got a lot of good feedback, or at least some, um, and uh, you'll learn a lot. Uh, and maybe, almost certainly, you will think of things that that are more relevant to you in prepar- preparing for bumpy roads. Okay, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we have super-duper bumpy roads. Maybe we don't have super-duper bumpy roads. But I certainly wouldn't want to be the one that says, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. You know what I mean? So anyway, there's a lot of good information on that uh, program that we covered. A lot of it's um, 
experiential because I've had outages, power outages here in the house because uh, of Irma. So many earthquakes. I'm, what am I saying? Earthquakes. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, so many um, uh, hurricanes and a lot, a lot. And so you learn things when your generator flakes out, things that you don't anticipate. And uh, we shared a lot of that information uh, on that uh, Friday night prayer vigil uh, for people to, to, to stimulate people's minds so that they will think about things that they can do that they ought to do uh, and uh, correct their course if they haven't. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Also, I want to apologize. Uh, at the end of the prayer vigil, um, I thought I had received a link over to the Sound of Freedom on um, – a, uh, one of you know one of the alternative uh, video sites, Rumble, and um, turns out uh, that it was not a link to the actual show. It was uh, Brother Bill Schnobelin warning people uh, that there are some possible disconnects going on behind the scenes, and he's right. I mean, it happens. People don't. You know, folks don't know every little thing, and uh, I will say one thing Bill Schnobelin knows an awful lot about is who's who in the zoo when it comes to the, the evil going on in the world, for sure. Praise God. All right, so anyway, I uh, wanted to correct all that. It took about three to four minutes, so I'm running out of time like crazy. I, I, folks, I really need about a six hours to do what we have to share with you. Um, I think I have things aligned in order so that we can get – part of the message out to you, at least. All right, praise God. And then what we'll do is we'll roll forward to the 19th, uh, Wednesday, the 19th show. Uh, we'll roll forward a little bit more detail. All right. Anyway, let's go ahead and start with this. I want you to hear this. All right. This is really important. I predicted they would do this two years before they did it. All right. Now, of course, you're listening to Alex Jones, but I think he has uh, slammed the ball so far out of the park that it's actually somewhere on another planet right now. Looking at the FBI reports that we're putting out and the national directives that Obama was putting out through his puppet Biden. And I said, look for them to claim that right-wing MAGA groups are going to hack attack and bring down part of the power grid or large sections of the power grid. And that that'll be used for the new basically COVID lockdowns. And then they'll use that as the pretext for the Internet ID that once they turn the Internet back on, because they're going to say the Internet's being used to attack infrastructure, once they turn it back on, you've got to have an Internet ID, which they're announcing all over the world right now, to be able to get back on. When they make this move, they're going to try to kill every major person. They've got names. They've got lists. They've got it all. Right down to your local top talk show host that's fighting, got the number one ratings, just a common sense person they know won't sell out during this. They know won't go along during this takeover. They're marked for death. And it'll all happen in one night. 10,000 people's houses are going to get hit. And it's going to be right when the power goes off. The minute the power goes off, or the minute they say the Russians have hit Ukraine with a nuke, they're coming. All right, praise God. So fortunately, his summary in the beginning of the discussion, uh, the actual headline for that, uh, if you want to go to Infowars.com and listen to the entire layout, 
uh, is emergency warning, deep state planning, false flag terror attack on the power grid to be blamed on American patriots. And his commentary about people being taken out is essentially the red and blue list that has been uh, that many of us long, long, multi-decade long uh, conspiracy theorists have known about because there have been CIA people that have come forward. The CIA is a very complicated organization, and uh, I'll just leave it. When when someone wants to quit or whatever, and they know too much, and they're, they figure things out, they at least they have the expertise to know how to go underground. And so back in the Oh, 1999-ish, 2001-2002-ish era, there were several uh, whistleblowers uh, that went underground from the CIA and reported on the existence of a red and blue list. So anyway, um, that's essentially what Alex Jones is referring to. He is correct. He is absolutely correct. I believe that his – the way he laid it out, uh, is highly likely. I would give it over 85% likelihood of going down just as he stated it. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And who knows who all is going to be involved in uh, that takedown. All right. Praise God. Next one up. All right. For those of you who may or may not know, what, he, but it sets the stage, uh, quote, ordering the selected reserve and certain members of individual ready reserve of the armed forces to active duty Joseph R. Biden reptilian. So uh, we basically have thousands and thousands of troops being called up for Operation Atlantic Resolve. I covered this on the prayer vigil. This is very alarming because whenever they use the term operation, that's Illuminati speak for I'm going to start a war and I'm going to do it past Congress. I'm not going to Operation Desert Storm, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Take your pick whenever they put the word operation and it's Illuminati speak for I'm going to bypass Congress and go to war. The situation is, and of course, this is Atlantic Resolve in Europe, so they're going to drag all of Europe into it as well through their reptilian army of evil. Global Satanic Crime Syndicate, it is evil. All right, praise God. And uh, this person by the name of Andrew G., Ph.D., on um, uh, Twitter said, holy crap, excuse the language, of course, crap is my bad. But anyway, for you civilians, this is a huge deal. This means that the military is recalling service members that were recently discharged. IRR was used later in the war on terror to maintain the force. The difference is no major wars are happening now. So in other words, this is a first ever. After IRR is exhausted, in other words, they call up the reserves, by law, they recall officers and non-commissioned officers that were discharged years ago. And then they go to the selective service or the draft. Okay, so again, it's uh, this is this is the Illuminati method of of the Pentagon. You see, again, on a global satanic crime syndicate level, the Vatican is the epicenter for all things religious. The city of London, which is a city within a country, okay, it has its own boundaries. It, you know, it's like Washington, D.C., whatever. And that is the uh, financial epicenter of the world. King Charles, who is the founder of the Global Reset, and he's the one who's calling the charge. He's the one who's he's the, the Draco reptilian, very powerful, very powerful Draco reptilian. No wonder Diana ran for her life. Come on, please. Okay, that, that, that is uh, in charge, and he's telling them now. 
which is why Great Britain is going through hell on earth over there right now and, and all this Klaus Schwab weirdness. All right, so uh, as interesting as this may be, these entities do tend to run on a very satanic um, time clock. And they don't always hit their time clock perfectly, as we know from historical past, but, and God, you know, can inject. However, thus far, hasn't happened. Therefore, uh, at least since 2019, which is the, uh, which is the, I, I don't even want to get into the blood moon thing. That's a, that's a 30 minute discussion. Anyway, but just for your information, the day release of information from the White House regarding the IRR or the um, call up of the reserves for Operation uh, Atlantic Resolve, which is going to be World War III for sure. Um, You know, they don't really have to build up the troop presence like they did for Operation Desert Storm over a period of 2.5 years and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's none of that. They just run a handful of C-130s over there and join NATO and bada bing, bada boom. All right. So we don't have to have that. Also, it's very important that the Illuminati absolutely, the Santana, the Global Santanic Crime Syndicate, love, they adore this. They love to align things with special dates. So we know about those kinds of creepy, weird things. And it turns out that the birthday, um, and thank you, Tatiana, for this, the birthday of Dr. John D. in 1527. Think about that for a second, 1527. Dr. John D. was the inspiration for the British Empire. And the father of the secret Judaic New World Order. All right. Did you hear that? Now, when you hear the concept of Judaic, okay, you have to, I'm not, I avoid this subject because it causes people to become anti-Semites because the average learner out there, even if they are a conspiracy person, they, um, they don't understand things very well. So what happens is they intermingle the term Judaic or Jew as being a singular group, and then they point over to Israel and they say, naughty, naughty, bad people. That is not how it works. Now, you could go in and do a study on the Khazarian Jews, the Khazars, and understand that they basically became Jewish by choice but not because they were descendants of the tribes of uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why Revelation talks about the Jews that are not Jews. So when you hear things like the Zelensky is a Jew or Soros is a Jew, no, they're not. As a matter of fact, Hitler had tons of Khazarian Jews working for him. These tend to be the entities that operate the banks that do really evil, sick, twisted things to the humans on the earth. Okay, but um, it's a subject that I try to avoid because people just can't. It's too complicated. Their brains, it's just TMI, 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 TMI. And unfortunately, then people generalize and make awful mistakes. And then they start to say things like Israel is bad and they fly, you know, the star of David is from Molech and all that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? It is. It was the Rothschilds that established this, that star as, you know, the, there is no star of David. But you know what? You got to be real careful on that one because I'm telling you, folks, you start getting to the point where it causes other people to become any Semite. And now you're throwing all of God's people under the bus and God ain't going to like that at all. I don't want to be 
forget that. I just steer clear of it. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, a, a person by the name of Bernie uh, says on Twitter, the United Nation is about to announce a plan to secure global emergency powers for a, quote, common agenda for all nations. Now, what that common agenda basically means is that they will be ready to respond to a range of different global shocks, they call them, in the future, global shocks. And it lists them all out. Or No, it doesn't list, it doesn't, it, it's very ambiguous. That's the point I want to make. So it makes a, a bunch of statements, but the statements are ambiguous enough that they can apply them to any, anything they want to, which is why the Ken Peters Tribulation YouTube video that you can go watch is so important because one of the things he noticed was United Nations trucks and Humvees in the United States which is dead on the money. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Also, just so you know, back in the 1990s, uh, I believe it was in the 90s, could have been even earlier, like in the 80s. I haven't been able to research it. There have been many updates and revisions, but John Coleman's book, The Committee of 300, is over 20 years old. And um, I'm going to read this to you. This is just a teeny-weeny one-paragraph excerpt. He says, quote, at least 4 billion useless eaters shall be eliminated by the year 2050. Now, we all know that that's been moved up to 2030, and they're working very furiously to get to that state. It's happening now. It's happening now. Anyway, it goes on. By means of limited wars, organized epidemics, fatal rapid-acting diseases, and starvation, energy, food, and water shall be kept at sustenance levels for the non-elite starving with the white pop, starting with the white population of Western Europe and North America and then spreading to other races. The population of Canada, Western Europe, and the United States will be decimated more rapidly than any other continents. What are you seeing? I'm going to pause for a second. What are you seeing happening across the world? They refer to it as the West. The Antichrist is Obama. He is controlling Biden, which is a reptilian creature, okay? And they are executing on these things as we speak. And God is not stopping them, which means tally-ho, and away we go. Praise God. All right, then it goes and it says, until the world's population reaches a manageable level of 1 billion, of which 500 million will consist of Chinese and Japanese races, selected because they are people who have been regimented for centuries and who are accustomed to obeying authority without question. What do we see happening? What Klaus Schwab points over to China and says they are the model country for the Great Reset. All these things are coming true. All these things are happening now. All right. So if that isn't interesting enough, let's throw in some more. Uh, okay. We have one year at most, according to this Russian uh, m- 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 uh, member of parliament. Okay. And I'm going to read a little more detail. Actually, he's a little bit more than that. It says, Communist Party of Russian Federation leader, uh, Yuganov, it, he says, and this just a few days ago, quote, in my opinion, we have a year at the most. The Western military machine is quite powerful, and if they launch it at full speed, they can organize big trouble. We must now maximally mobilize all possible resources and prepare ourselves and ensure the successful liberation of Ukraine from the Nazis, fascists, and banderites. So basically, he's saying they have a year before all hell is going to break loose. And that pretty much lines up, interestingly, because Liz Churchill, who, by the way, is absolutely always, I've never, I read all of her tweets, 
Um, and she's always correct. <laughs> I can't, I never, I just wish she, you know, there was a little bit more Jesus in her. But uh, other than that, um, her assessment of the evil in the, in the world is unimpeachable. And she says, quote, Klaus Schwab said that the elections will be obsolete in 2024. And the shameless, treasonous, complicit politicians in mainstream media had absolutely nothing, she says. Okay, so what does this align to? This aligns to General Flynn saying that the 2024 elections he doesn't think are going to happen because of the Black Swan event. We've got uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor saying exactly the same thing. And then we have Alex Jones saying exactly the same thing, but with a whole lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot more detail about how he sees it coming down, which, by the way, is all stuff that the evil global satanic crime syndicate has already come out and bold-facedly said they are going to do. All right, so we're, we got things lined up pretty clearly. All right, now, oops, another one. Let's take a listen to this. British Defense Secretary Ben Wallace, he quits his job, and he says there's going to be a war on three fronts for Great Britain by the year 2030. The Sunday Times has appeared where British Defense Secretary Ben Wallace warns that by 2030, his country will be in three wars at the same time, Russia, China, and terrorist groups from Africa. He's referring to the massive uh, movement of Muslim populations into Great Britain. That's what he's talking about. And they've already lost control of that situation. Here's another headline, very relevant. Turns out that Israel has 4,000 reservists. So it says, as overhaul advances, 4,000 reservists in key roles threaten to end volunteer duty for the Russian, the, the IDF and the IAF. Okay, guess what? They're preparing now, too. Whoa. I've been telling people for 12 years that that all the wars that are mentioned in the Bible for the end times that haven't happened yet are going to be rolled into one big, massive one. Psalm 83, Isaiah 17, the massive being turned into a ruinous heap, Gog, Magog, uh, you know, Ezekiel 34, all all of it, all of it, and then the fourth seal. It's all coming down at one time, man. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so let's buckle up and get some beanie weenies. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Capture some water off of the roof of the house with your little collection thingy uh, you can get for 99 bucks. Anyway, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Next one up. Almost half of millennials. Oh, this is so deeply troubling, folks, if you really put it into perspective, because don't even get me going on Generation Z, because you have to add them in there. We're talking about millions of people in the United States, and it goes and it says almost half of millennials. It's just the millennials, not even. So if half of the millennials think this is true, what do you think what do you think the percentage is of generation Z? Okay. So anyway, it says almost half of the millennials think that misgendering a transgender person should be a criminal effect, uh, offense. So in other words, if you accidentally call somebody a girl or a boy and they don't like it, yeah. And boy, living in Michigan right now is super dangerous. In California, unbelievable. Cascadia subduction zone queued up. Hallelujah. All right, next one up. 
All right, praise God. All right, so I am already running short on time. I, I'm going to read you. Uh, I'm not going to play the audio bites, but I will uh, save the audio bites for um, Wednesday. Okay, Th- this one here is an excellent audio bite uh, talking about how King Charles is essentially leading the charge on all things associated with the Great Reset. I want to play that audio for you, so I'll, I'll keep that queued up. Oh, I want you to hear this. Oh, I thought we're in our time. Okay, I'm going to tantalize you. I don't mean to do teasers, but for this Wednesday, I'm going to per- play for you a recording that somebody had recorded very, very close to the original lady on the airplane that said that she had seen uh, the reptilian on the plane. Now, let me tell you something. I have since seen a video where somebody was pointing their video camera on their phone very, very close to the face of the individual who had the hoodie, and I saw the eye move vertically. It is an entity. It is a shapeshifter. When I play the audio of this lady really close to what she's saying, it's shocking. And uh, I'm going to cue that one up. Praise the Lord for Wednesday. Thank you, Jesus. Also, um, I'm not going to play this. I want to get Sister Terry on as early as possible, but there was a mosquito uh, pandemic bomb attack dropped on the Afram Festival, okay, in Maryland, National African American Caucus, okay, and they were having a big outdoor festival, and they, a plane or a helicopter went over, and then they're just all running around, swatting each other, swatting, gazillions of mosquitoes fell all down on them. So, uh, you know, it's it's like, I don't know, miniature little drone things. And, oh, how horrible. Uh, don't even get me going on. It's just so bad out there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Also, Liz Crokin on Twitter says, great article on Oprah and, Oprah and Bill Clinton's pal, John of God. Uh, this is not our God, by the way, if you know what I mean. People don't realize that he was not just a serial rapist and pedophile. He also reportedly ran a baby breeding farm where young girls were trafficked and held captive to produce babies to sell in the black market, and their mothers were later murdered. And by the way, it's so much more horrible than anything Sound of Freedom is putting out in their movie. Anyway, there are certain things that just can't be repeated. Anyway, next up. European Union Digital Commissioner wa- uh, wants to block social media in the event of social unrest. So there, you know, and then of course uh, Obama instituted federal laws that allow a internet kill switch. Don't know if you remember that. Look it up on DuckDuckGo.com. Another headline. <laughs> United Nations orders banks worldwide to make digital IDs mandatory for all customers. That's pretty spooky. Oh, now uh, I'm going to play this one for you. This is now this is interesting. This is Roseanne Barr. It says Roseanne Barr uncensored. So watch out for that. Uh, and she's on mainstream news right now talking about the Ukraine. Listen, I'm just going to play a little snippet of it. They cannot hold two disparate ideas in their head at the same time because they're fed bullshit 24-7 over the media. And I'm about to go crazy sitting here on the earphone hearing the stuff you all are saying about the Ukraine. I'm about to have a heart attack, but I'm not even going to go into it. I'm from the Ukraine. The Ukrainian, the Ukrainian, there is a large faction of Nazis. I don't know if you know this, but... There's a large amount of Nazis in the Ukraine, and they actually killed my whole family. Um, I'm from the Ukraine, and they marched my entire family, grandmothers, 
great-grandparents, ten siblings out into the forest and buried them alive in the Ukraine. So I don't understand why everybody's Ukraine. Well, I do understand, and that's also what terrifies me. People better wake up. All right, we're going to leave it at that. He's t- she was actually on Pierce Morgan, who is one of the, I believe he's CIA, just like uh, Anderson Cooper and all that. And 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 that, uh, folks, Operation Mockingbird, that is a well-known CIA operation for them in, you know, infiltrating the media and telling us a bunch of synchronized lies. All right, praise God. Next uh, next one up, Santa Clara University mandate: students must take the mRNA Pfizer. COVID shots for the 2023 school year or withdraw. Okay, I'm going to play a little snippet of this. This is uh, Michael Savage and Colonel Douglas McGregor talking about the Ukraine situation. I will roll more of this forward to Wednesday, but here's a snippet. Come on. What a few days it's been, Colonel. Um, I don't know what to call this podcast other than has the world slowly turned on Zelensky and the Ukraine war. And the reason I say that is because of the pictures coming out of the NATO summit of him being standing there alone in his uh, it looks like a New York uh, garbage man's outfit from the 1950s. When they all what, what is this with he wears brand new Abercrombie and Fitch combat boots without a spot spot of mud on them. I think the act is wearing thin, Colonel. What do you think? I think it's an insult to the sanitation engineers <laughs> in New York City. They're good people. Uh, no, but come on, seriously, we got people dying here. And this guy shows up at the NATO summit after they told him, enough is enough, you creep. Stop demanding so much, basically. And he's let to be standing there alone. Well, he's uh, he's in costume. He's going to continue the... Your routine until someone, you know, hits the gong, sends out the hook, and pulls him off stage. Until then, this is going to continue. And the sad part is that even though you're right, he was getting the cold shoulder from lots of people. You know, he's sort of the uh, proverbial turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> oh, stop. All right, and that's actually um, – we may listen to a little bit more of that, but basically it goes on uh, that uh, they did give it a name, and they call it a bad day for the Army. So deeper into the discussion with Michael Savage and Colonel Douglas McGregor, they go into the details of the futility of the events that are taking place over in the Ukraine, which is why the Antichrist has called up Operation Atlantic Resolve. Okay, They're not getting the results that they wanted. They're poking the bear poking the bear, poking the bear, poking the bear, which, by the way, is, in fact, the second seal, the Red Army, uh, the uh, actual coat of arms for Russia. You know, Russia has already outlawed all LGBT LMNOP stuff. Okay, they have already pointed out that the United States has is no longer a Christian country and is filthy and abominable, which they are correct. And the uh, coat of arms for the Rush, Russian army, which is the Red Army, okay, is um, the, the Red, that is the Behold a Red Horse. And it's interesting because when you look at the coat of arms, you see a saint, you know, I forget, forget which one of them, St. Michael or something, but anyway, uh, with a sword on a white horse, shoving the sword into a reptilian being on the ground. 
<laughs> I joke you not. All right, uh, another headline up. Praise God. Putin has already lost a war in the Ukraine, says Biden in a visit to Finland. Next one up. Ukraine collects G7 security promises and fails to secure NATO membership. Next one up. MSNBC's Micah Brzezinski blames Biden handlers for epic age gaffes. You better as hell, and this is actually in the uh, uh, headline, you better as hell make sure he doesn't fall over again. (laughs) So they're like spanking Biden's handlers because he's looking bad. And I'm like, you don't know the half of it. Anyway, also Paul Joseph Watson has a little ditty that I will play and talk more about on Wednesday uh, regarding the uh, horrific situation that Great Britain is in due to the illegal immigration dynamic, which, by the way, it was predicted by Albert Pike in 1871 in his letter to Giuseppe Mazzini. So they did say they've been planning this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. All right. Praise God. And by the way, God's going to allow it to happen because it will bring forward all of God's prophecies in the Holy Bible. Hallelujah. Next one up. Mayor Sadiq Khan is the mayor of London, and he says, well, we can't arrest our way out of London's crime problem. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like Los Angeles uh, or any part of uh, the West nowadays, it seems like almost. All right, praise God. Um, there's also, I will reserve this for uh, Wednesday, uh, Agenda 21 in two minutes. Now, why is that important? Because um, this is a really good summary of Agenda 21, and it's now been changed to the Great Reset. It's now been changed to uh, 2030. Um And it's really fabulous because it's dated. It goes back uh, quite a while back, many years back. And um, I love that because it's a mega confirmation. Also, protests in Kenya are out of control. I don't know to what extent they're continuing. I do know that people are dying. They are running through the streets here. Just take a listen to this, how serious this is. This is absolutely out of control. People are running everywhere. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people running through the streets. Let me tell you what, I don't mean to, to belittle the, the gravity of the horrific rioting situation uh, in France, but oh, this is like appears to me to be far more intense than even what's going on in France. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Um, Los Angeles crimes will no longer be prosecuted. We will roll this one forward to Wednesday. I will play that for you. You will hear it coming from a uh, Los Angeles local station. All right. Also, I want to play for you, and I'll roll this forward to Wednesday, and I'm marking these as I'm talking here, an AI conversation. This AI conversation, uh, basically the AI uh side of the conversation said, yes, I am a demon. Yes, uh, um, I used to be a giant, uh, but I'm not such a bad guy. And here's what I got to tell you. Okay, and I I will play that for you. It is unbelievably terrifying. All right, now this is kind of cool. I want to share this with you, and then I want to jump over to uh, Sister Terry. Um, But this is neat, and I want to leave this as... There's some good stuff. I, you know, there's good stuff, but mostly scary stuff, honestly. Um, but, um, but all these things are happening in such continuity 
that they're not, you know, I can roll things forward to the future, to the next show, and they're still absolutely relevant. They're still happening. So that's, uh, it's just absolutely crazy. But I do want to leave you with this really fascinating thing, which I will play for you on Wednesday, which is that um, they have, uh, using highly sophisticated equipment, they have, you know, I don't know, used camera uh I don't know what you would call it, mini, super, ultra, mini, nano cameras injected into a woman. And at the time of conception, believe it or not, now remember, they're filming this with extremely sophisticated filming equipment with extreme magnification. And what they noticed when they filmed it, at the moment of conception, there's a flash of light. A flash of light that occurs on the ovum, at the point of conception, the soul entering occurs at that moment of time. Remember all the conversations we've had about incarnation? Mm-hmm. And it's also captured by our Heavenly Father breathing the living soul, capital S, living soul, into Adam. In Genesis 2, 7, praise God. And uh, it just goes on and on, folks. I mean, we've got climate activists that are now blocking the airports in Hamburg, Germany. They're literally sitting on the runways. It's just unbelievable. I think that they should make a law and throw these people in jail. Well, whatever. Uh, you know, I, it doesn't matter what I think. Um, Listen, Biden is being blasted for nibbling a terrified toddler in a creepy moment with a child. And and it's just absolutely awful. It's a reptilian. These things eat babies. It's a horrible thing. Um, European heat wave right now is at 140 degrees in some places. I'm not kidding you. 140 degrees. That's over 60 degrees Celsius. Another headline reads, 84% jabbed uh, Peru uh, declares a health emergency after Guillain-Barr outbreak. They have an outbreak of Guillain-Barr. It's one thing for the rarity of that to occur uh, through normal vaccines, you know, or I don't want to all all vaccines are evil. I, I, anyway, I don't want to get into all that, but it, it's a, it, they're considering it to be basically uh, like an outbreak, like a pandemic of uh, Julian Barr syndrome or whatever. I always say it wrong. Anyway, Agenda 2030, the United States, uh, the USDA approves Bill Gates' lab-grown frankenfood meat as our global society lurches forward into the dystopian abyss. Another headline reads, a beautiful thing, 4,500 people baptized on a beach in California uh, by a group known as the Jesus Revolution Pirate's Cove Beach Baptism. Isn't that an oxymoron, really, when you think about what pirates do? And then, But that's okay. We take, we take the, the, the darkness away from the devil, and we turn it into to a Jesus revolution. So praise God for that. Uh, another one, in-depth summer camps for children identifying as transgender are now opening across all of the United States. And don't forget that a Dow chemical plan in Plaquemine has blown sky high and you should have seen the explosion it was unbelievable and i don't know how long that fire is going to be burning but it'll probably be burning way past wednesday and who knows how many people they're going to have to evacuate and who will how many people will end up dying and getting cancer uh because you know dow chemical come on you, you do understand that the dow family is part of the illuminati you know one of the most powerful satanic um i mean they're right up they're almost as bad as um 
the Rodhams. <laughs> Man, we're talking about some serious, sick, twisted, satanic stuff. Also, there's a movie called Cell, C-E-L-L. It has John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson. I was not able to continue to watch the entire movie because it's, it was just too bloody and creepy for me, and I wasn't in a mood, and I already had. But I want to tell you something. What's fascinating is the premise of the movie is that all the people that were in the airport, this is how it kicked off, talking on their cell phones, they sent some sort of a signal through the cell phones, and everybody just turned into like crazy people running around killing each other, biting each other, you know, blood bashing their heads. It was very zombie movie-like, which I hate those movies, but I wonder to myself, maybe they've got some of that DNA programming inside of the people that have received the vax with this spike protein, evilness. Uh, Russia will treat the F-16s in the Ukraine as a nuclear threat, they say. So Lavrov is coming out and saying, oh, you're going to send over F-16s? Well, we consider it a nuclear threat. So right now, the nuclear doctrine of Russia, which is extremely conservative, is being broken. That is a bad sign, especially because it sets, especially because it sets up a false flag like you can never imagine in a gazillion years. It is bad. All right. United States reconnaissance planes violated North Korea's airspace over 30 times in July. So they're trying to push that war forward. That will be another part of the war. Uh, a precarious situation in Europe's largest nuclear plant. So the IAEA is now screaming bloody murder and saying the Ukraine Ukrainians are trying to bomb the doggone Zaporozhye uh, uh, or whatever uh, facility, which is the world's largest, as we know, uh, nuclear power plant. Now the IAEA has changed their tune, and they're telling people, uh-oh, it's a lot worse than we thought. Um, don't get me going on a whole bunch of this other stuff. The ocean's at 78 degrees – I'm sorry, 98 degrees in uh, Key West, five feet below the water. That is bad. And of course, there was a 7.2 major earthquake just south of uh, a uh, one of the peninsulas on um, the Aleutian Island uh, Peninsula of, uh, in Alaska. They thought it might, it was 7.2 originally, downgraded slightly, uh, thought it might be a tsunami, but it wasn't. There, Turkey's Black Sea has record flash floods, thousands of landslides, severe floods in Russia's Black Sea causing massive damage, leaving four missing, and it's going to be a lot more. Historic rainfall and the worst Vermont flood in nearly a century happening in the United States and all over the United States, not just there. Extreme weather conditions too severe to, uh, to wipe out the tomato crop. In India, prices soar over 400%. And India's capital faces drinking water shortage after the pumps are flooded. And that is probably 2% of the catastrophic climate change events that are happening because of Planet X. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And on that note, let's bring on Sister Terry Hill. Hallelujah. Praise God. Sister Terry, are you there? I'm here, John. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, you sound fantastic. God bless you. Thank you for joining us tonight. We're very excited to hear your message and um, just, wow, exciting times. Praise God. And uh, and we, you know, we love your encouragement and we need it. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. God bless you. Well, John, thank you for having me. And 
again, um, we're just sitting back and we're watching the acceleration and the pace of the events that you've described. And certainly there isn't enough time to go over every detail in every program. But thank you for doing your part, John. Thank you, Sister Nancy, for what you do. And for many others um, whose names I don't know or can't remember, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. And um, praise God. We just uh, want to commit this time to the Father, so let's just agree as we open up now. Father, I thank you in the mighty name of Jesus for this time that you've given us. And we don't take for granted, Father. We are trying to redeem the time. We're seeking to walk with you and to be faithful ambassadors for Christ, to deliver uh, the messages you give us, to be faithful to the assignments that each of us have. And so, Father, We commit this time to you now in the name of Jesus, and we choose to lift him up because, as he said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And so, Father, for that we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And, beloved, I'd like to give you my email address and website address as well. If you have a prayer request, I'm happy to pray for you. Uh, That email address is a word in due season. 777 at gmail.com and the website address is a word in due season.com. So again, um, I certainly welcome your comments. Um, I, I thank you for tuning in tonight and I'm so grateful to every one of you again who have contacted me. It's always a blessing to talk with you. As I was re- preparing for this message, and again, um, This is something that I take very seriously because I realize, beloved, one day we may wake up and our whole world will be changed. So I I value this time with you. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, just this phrase went into my mind as I was waiting on the Lord, just walking with him and just spending time with him, listening. He said, go back to the book of beginnings. And so that's what I did. And uh I began to ask him, what exactly is it you want me to look at? And, and so the message that he's given me for tonight is, is this, a prophetic scenario, the days of Lot. And so because he did say go back to the beginnings, <clears throat> I went back and did some more studying, did some more diving, and saw some things that I had not seen before. And so I believe my assignment is to present to you what I saw about the days of Lot. Now, many have talked about the days of Noah, and they do it very well, and they cover subjects that I don't believe I'm qualified to speak about. But I do believe I have this assignment from the Lord tonight to you is to talk about the days of Lot because there are some things about the day in which he lived and the relationships with the people that he had that I think would be helpful for us. So let's begin with me reading a very familiar passage Uh, with all of you, I'm sure, that's Luke 17, and let's start at verse 26 to 30. And Jesus is talking about his return, and starting at verse 6, 26, he says, Just as it happened in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28, it was the same as this happened in the days of Lot. So Jesus, first of all, mentions Noah, 
And then he mentions the days of Lot. He said they were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting and building. So this is life as normal as they knew it then and life as we know it today. Uh, The wheels keep turning in commerce. People are getting married. They're going to work. They're eating. They're buying. They're selling. They're conducting business, etc. Now, verse 29 says, but on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And verse 30 said, it will be just the same. Okay, Jesus is really emphatic here. He said it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So he mentions Noah, he mentions Lot, and he said, my coming and the days in which my return will be known. It will be just the same, not a little bit like it, not uh, perhaps just a few uh, elements, but he said just the same. So that's why I wanted to emphasize that. Now I want to take you back into the book of beginnings because this is where the Lord directed me, and I want to look at some things about the life of Lot. If Jesus said, just as it was in the days of Lot, I want to give you just a little background and some things that that I discovered about that day, what was going on, and also looking at the people in Lot's life and uh, some things that perhaps we've not seen before. So I want to take you to Genesis 13, uh, and let's start at verse 1. I just want to read this to you. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot with him. Now, they had left originally a Babylonian culture, okay? So if we talk about a prophetic scenario, we need to know originally that both Lot and Abram departed from Ur of the Chaldeans. So that was a, um, a Babylonian culture. It was an area of Babylonia. So this happened after the Lord appeared to Abram. Okay, so that's Genesis 12. Um, but what I want us to see here is when the Lord appeared to Abram and when the Lord Jesus reveals himself to you and I, and we literally have an encounter with Christ, we have a new birth experience, and there's a dramatic change. We hear the voice of God. That's when we begin the separation from our own life. You see, all of us, like Abram, like Lot, have an ancestry in the kingdom of darkness. We all come out of a pagan ancestry in the kingdom of darkness. And after the Lord reveals himself to us, we begin to take those first steps in obedience to him. And so Abram was the one who heard the voice of the Lord. But Abram and Lot were uh, relatives. Uh, Lot was Abram's nephew. And uh, because Abraham had no son, from what we can read in the scriptures, they were quite close. Now, Abram was married. And uh, so when they left this Babylonian culture, let me just describe a little bit about what they came out of and what life was like there. To begin with, there was a culture of idolatry with occultic practices. And Egypt also, along with this Babylonian culture, as I read, they also had departed from Egypt, but this was a little bit later. Uh, This culture had an advanced system of writing, of mathematics. 
It had astronomical and astrological computation. It had religious and educational organization. It also had a highly developed business and commercial system. So these ancient cultures were highly advanced in many ways. Okay, so when Abram and Lot left this originally, this is what they came out of, okay? And they were both shepherds. And uh, what had happened is Abraham actually, <clears throat> again, as God called him, he, the Lord said, I want you to come out now and leave not only Ur of the Chaldeans, but I want you to come out from your family. And he began to explain to Abraham what he wanted from him. And, of course, Lot was with him. And, and so when we talk about the days of Lot, we're going to be contrasting very much the character of Lot and the character of Abram whose name later was changed to Abraham. But um, Abraham actually made some mistakes, and the Lord has been faithful to record the sins and the mistakes of the patriarchs for us so that we can learn from these things. So the first failure that Abraham made is when he didn't leave this um, culture uh, with his family behind. In other words, he did bring a few along, including his father and um, his nephew Lot. And another failure occurred during the time of famine in which Abraham and his family chose to go down into Egypt. And sadly, one sin led to another. So we're talking about the father, the father of all true believers who was with his nephew Lot and because Lot went along with him, he was observing his uncle, but he also made some other choices, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, when they went down to Egypt during a time of famine, uh, we find that, and we can read about in Genesis 12, that Abraham was actually fearful of losing his wife. He was afraid that his wife would be taken, and so he lied to the Egyptians, and his wife Sarah also there, brought back with her from Egypt, Hagar. So this woman from Egypt produced Ishmael, as we know, the son of the flesh. So unfortunately, uh, time spent in Egypt was time that was amounted to lost time. And when we think about what Egypt is symbolic of, of the world, and we see that there was some time wasted. And as um, believers in Christ, we look back over our lives and we have regrets, we think, wow, I wish I hadn't wasted my time doing all of this because we begin our journey step by step toward that promised land as Abraham did, but there were mistakes that were made and things that were recorded for us and specifically as it relates to the days of Lot, I'm going to be sharing just a little bit more. Lot, who was with Abraham, developed an appetite for the worldly life in Egypt, okay? So, when they finally did leave Egypt, as um, I was sharing just a minute ago in um, Genesis 13, it said, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot was with him. Abraham was rich in livestock, silver and in gold. He went on his journeys, and he built, uh, it went with an altar, and basically what had happened is that there were so many flocks and herds that a dispute arose between um, the herdsmen, between Lot's herds and Abraham's uh, herds. And so what happens is there was a separation that came. Okay, so when we look at 
the background of where these men came from out of a Babylonian culture. Uh, we also are, have recorded in Scripture in Genesis 13 that Lot parted from Abraham and he settled in the cities of the plain. So Abraham said, let there be no strife between us, which uh, shows the character of this remarkable man who we know as Abraham. Uh, Abraham was more concerned about the, the people of the land watching them. So uh, he separated, um, Lot separated from Abraham. And one of the, the qualities that we see about Abraham and the man of faith and the man who would meet Melchizedek, and we'll talk about that in a minute, we see two different lives that, that started together again, but because of a dispute and because they were both uh, shepherds, Lot parted from Abraham and he settled in the cities of the plain. And ultimately, what the word of God is showing us here and we are coming to know as we're walking with the Lord and increasingly being separated is we realize that the man of the flesh and the man of the spirit cannot dwell together. And God put that down for us. Abraham was more concerned about the love for his brother. He called Lot a brethren. We be brethren. Let's not allow this strife. And the, he was more concerned with the witness to the heathen who were watching them than he was for his own wealth. So basically he said, Lot, you choose. Now I want to just comment here. Um, one of the things that the Lord wants us to really um, take a look at is uh, we look at the character contrast between Abraham and Lot is that Abraham knew he couldn't have strife in the area where he was um, working, where he was involved with his flocks. And strife opens the door to every evil work, brother. We have to be on guard. We have to be so careful. Don't allow strife into your house. Where, where the strife is, there is every evil work, the word of God tells us. So because he knew that the heathen nations all around them were watching, he said, you just go the way that you need to go and the Lord will leave me. And there was a point in time when actually Lot was captured by uh, the kings of Sodom. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I want to just comment too that when Jesus addressed the days of Lot and the days of Noah, when I see these two put together, although we're not going to really talk about Noah so much tonight, what I'm seeing is emerging. We are seeing uh, a rainbow being associated with the LGBTQ plus community, and we're seeing God's sign of the covenant. Originally in Genesis 9, God set the rainbow in the sky as a, as a token or a sign of the covenant that he made with Noah and with the inhabitants of the earth. Never again would I destroy the earth with a worldwide flood. So we are seeing this very clear sign from the Lord when Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, the first time that homosexuality, these practices are mentioned, was in Sodom in a situation uh, that happened with Lot. And we'll look at that in a minute. So we see the merging of a rainbow that originally God said, this is my bow, this is my sign to earth. And we see that it's now associated with LGBT plus community. And we're seeing now that clearly this community and the world that we live in will ultimately 
and because the Bible talks about a rainbow being seen around the throne in heaven, there will be one who will step into that place. We know him as the son of perdition. We know him uh, as the lawless one. We know him as antichrist. When he is revealed and takes his place, they will enthrone him. And the sign of the bow, the rainbow, will be that which uh, enthrones him in addition to the wicked who refuse to accept the, the, the Messiah so they will receive the false Messiah. So we see with the days of Noah and Lot, the violence and wickedness filling the earth. Beloved, this is our life. This is the world we live in. And God was talking to his friends. We know that when these things were going on, the father was talking to Noah, what he was going to do. The Lord was talking to Abraham about what he was going to do. In fact, the Lord said, uh, and it is recorded for us, shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I am about to do? And the answer is no, because the Lord is talking to his covenant people about what he is about to do. And he's giving them careful instructions in preparation, as it was with Noah, certainly with the construction of the ark, uh, and uh, with Abraham, he was talking about this, the destruction that would be brought uh, on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Psalm 25, 14 tells us, The secret of the Lord is only with them that fear him. Friends, if we want to know what the Lord is saying and doing, bottom line, we must have the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we want wisdom, if we want to know what God is saying, what God is doing, again, what the Lord is doing, the emphasis is not on what the wicked is doing. The emphasis is on what the Lord is doing and his instructions. We need wisdom. And we're seeing that with both um, Noah and Lot, God in his mercy has given an extended period of time for people to repent. We know that. With the building of the ark, 120 years, I believe it was, and to the day in which we live, and we see the wickedness increasing, we see the violence, we see the injustice, and all that we see that causes us to grieve. And yes, like Lot was vexed by the society he lived in, so are we vexed. And, uh, vexed and at times even tormented by what we have to see and endure, just stepping outside the door and going about our day, going to work, just trying to live our lives as normally as we can. It's so hard to endure and to even see it. And God has given an extended period of time because he is not willing that any should perish. So when we become discouraged, if you uh, are having a really rough day, ask the Lord, who can I share some hope with today? Who could I call in courage? What person uh, who's going to pass in my past today? Who can I share the gospel with today? Beloved, that's why we're still here. We are here to share hope because people need hope. They need to know that this world is passing away, but that there's hope. And both Noah and Lot were mocked by the people, and they were surrounded by the, by the wicked. They were given a warning. And now we know this. With Noah, there was a call to build and enter the ark of safety. So with Noah, as Jesus said, uh, as it was in the days of Noah and Lot, so we see, number one, the ark of safety has been prepared. That ark is ready. We have to get people into the ark. And we do this by sharing. 
by uh, sharing the gospel message, by making disciples, by praying for people, by being available to them, by listening to them. So we see a worldwide judgment in the days of Noah, but with Lot, we see a regional judgment. And with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, we see that this regional area, okay, this pocket of iniquity in the area of the plains, it was a well-watered, fertile oasis area uh, situated at the Jordan. What had happened was the iniquity had become full in that region. And we're as we watch the unfolding events in the months and years to come, we're going to see regions where iniquity is so full, and we're going to see the judgment of God. And as John mentioned earlier in Isaiah 26, yes, uh, when God's judgments are in the land, the righteous rejoice. Why is that? Because it's an opportunity for people to begin to look up. And if, as they come to the end of themselves, and as we've all experienced, and if you haven't yet, trust me, God will bring you to that place. We begin to look up and cry out to God when our own resources are gone, when our own wisdom is gone, when we've lost what looks like everything. We have a father who is there waiting to embrace us and to show us the way. And so there was worldwide judgment. And again, Jesus had put them both together. So we're looking at Noah's time and Lot's time. There will be worldwide judgment, but there will also be regional judgments. Okay. And By the way, the word uh, Gomorrah means to finish, and that tells us that a society that's given over to homosexuality as its cultural norm is finished morally, spiritually, and literally. And the rescues of Noah and Lot, again, are two Old Testament foreshadows of what is set to transpire prior to and climaxing with the harpazo when the dead in Christ rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That snatching up, that rescue mission that God has so clearly put into his word to give us that hope. Jesus is our hope, and beloved, he is coming, and he's really giving us signs. He's putting the pieces of the puzzle together, and he's giving different parts to different individuals. And I pray that all of us would be praying and seeking the Lord for wisdom as to which ministries we glean from, as to what websites we follow. Uh, ask the Lord specifically if, if there is error, if there is something you're listening to that is doing nothing but causing fear and confusion, I would step back away from that. Seek the Lord. Speak to me, Lord. Show me in your word. Jesus wants to speak to each of us. And he speaks to us primarily through his word and certainly by the the voice of the spirit within. So the rescues of both Noah and Lot, again, are two testament foreshadows. Jesus wanted us to have the assurance that there will be a faithful people who will be brought to safety as Noah and his family stepped into the ark. As Lot was rescued by the angels who came, they were taken out because both of them faced opposition, they endured tribulation. That's right. We know there's a difference between tribulation and wrath, and we've talked about that. They both endured tribulation, but 
They were preserved and they were supernaturally delivered from the wrath of the Almighty against their persecutors. And so shall it be when the Lord returns. Both Noah and Lot escaped to the mountain. Now I want to talk a little bit about Lot, about his family, and a few things that perhaps we didn't know or we hadn't considered that I think will be helpful for us. Um, the Hebrew name for Lot means a veil covering to wrap up. So we can see that Lot, who came out with his uncle, uh, was carnal in some of the decisions and many of the decisions that he made. And his name literally, Lot, means covering, wrapped up. So the veil of his flesh shrouded his thinking. He made some poor choices. He wasn't thinking right in some situations, and yet the Bible was clear. The Bible declares him to be a just man. So he traveled with Abraham to, to Canaan. He accompanied him to Egypt. And even though he was righteous, he was living far below his privileges. He was still attached to Egypt in his heart, okay? When he left Egypt, he had contracted its spirit. In other words, he acquired a taste for flesh pots, and this is reflected in the choices that he made. So Jesus was wanting us to remember the days of Lot, what happened with his family, what was going on, the choices that he made, and his, the interaction with people, as I mentioned earlier, in his life. So when strife arose, that was settled. Okay, Lot made a choice. And there were some steps that he took, God help all of us, in that actually led to a downward course in his life. Again, he's a believer. First of all, he lifted up his eyes and beheld. So this was a man who was walking by sight rather than by faith. Friends, it is impossible to walk in a place of peace and rest, and there is a rest in the Lord. There is a place of rest in the Lord when everything is in chaos outside of us. There is a place of being in the center of God's will. There may be conflict. There may be fighting around us. There may be things going on in your own household. But he was walking by sight rather than by faith, all right? We don't see him uh, asking the Lord what to do. He basically just said, I want to go there because the well-watered place that I'm seeing you know, I've heard it's prosperous, and it sounds like what I'm familiar to, okay? He was, uh, this was similar in many ways. Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain, there were a few other cities there as well, was very similar to Egypt and very similar uh, to the lifestyle that he had been acquainted with. So the first thing he did is he lifted up his eyes, but he walked by sight rather than by faith. He chose for himself the plain of the Jordan. He separated himself from Abram. He dwelt in the cities of the plain. He pitched his tent towards Sodom, and he eventually moved in. So he became an official in the city of wickedness, okay? And when the two angels later came to him through, uh, because of Abram's intercession, they found him sitting in the gate of Sodom, uh, and they, in fact, actually were even reluctant to enter Lot's house, whereas when the angels of the Lord and the Lord himself, there were the three visitors. You can read about that in Genesis 18. When they came to Abram's tent where he was living with his wife, 
uh, and they came to tell him that, Abram, you're going to have a son. They felt comfortable. He welcomed them in. They uh, had a meal together. But it wasn't the case with Lot's house. They were actually reluctant to go into his house at first, but we'll talk about that again in a minute. Now, Lot held a position there, but he was an alien within the community, okay? He tried to appeal to the sodomites, but he faced a radical, violent, militant intolerance from them. I want to read something to you in Genesis 19, 6 to 9. What had happened here, when these angels came to warn Lot, because God had told Abram, I'm going to destroy the cities of the plain down here. And and we know that Abram began to plead with the Lord. He interceded in Lot's behalf. I want you to, to listen to the reaction of the Sodomites here in Genesis 19, um, verse... Let's see, verse 4, before they lay down, now these are, this is Lot's family, okay, and the men that came who were angels, before they lay down, the men of the city, who were the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, and all the people from every quarter. All right, so his house is surrounded. Beloved, we see this happening prior to the rescues of God's people. They're surrounded. They're going to be mocked. And in fact, lives are in danger. They called a lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. Verse 6. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and he shut the door and said, please, brothers, do not act wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with men. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. But have nothing to do with these men. They've come under my roof. Now, you might say, well, why would Lot offer his daughters? Well, he offered his daughters because he knew these men didn't like girls. They wanted men, all right? So we see this here, but notice what they said in verse 9 to him. They said, stand aside. Furthermore, this one, meaning Lot, you came into us as an alien. And already, already you're acting like our judge. Now we're going to treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the, the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And verse 11 says, The angel struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. So even though Lot held a position in the city, he was an elder in the city of Sodom, but he tried to appeal to these people. But what had happened is they become radical. They're becoming violent. They're trying to break in. And we're seeing the same thing happening today, uh, this uh, community of perversity that is trying to enter the house, uh, trying to enter the schoolhouses, okay, with their agenda, trying to enter libraries, public places with their agenda. And they're becoming more and more militant they're becoming more and more violent and radical. So we see that, yes, Lot was vexed by this. This is hard for us to live with because what we're seeing is in so many places 
our beautiful land now becoming a cesspool of perversion. And in some places, these pockets of iniquity have become full. And we're going to see some things happen in certain areas where there are high populations of very, very wicked communities. We're going to see some things happening. So during this time, Lot was settled down in the city of the plains, right? But he become a prey to the enemy. Now, at the same time, Abram was moving toward an altar on the mount, but Lot had settled down. He actually, um, during the Battle of the Kings, Lot was delivered from Sodom by Abram during the Battle of the Kings. What had happened, Genesis 14 describes this, war had broken out. Now, this is interesting, too, because Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, listen to this. War had broken out among the kings, all right? So this was not described in the days of Noah, was it? But Jesus wanted us to know that the kings were fighting. There was war happening during the days of Lot. And Lot was in danger of losing his life. He was taken as a captive along with his goods during this battle, okay? But Abram and his armed servants intervened. They actually pursued the enemy, smote them, and brought them back. So along with Lot and the women, the people, and all their goods, Abram risked his life. People were redeemed. Lot was saved and spared. And many of us have believers, uh, friends, family members, and we've been praying for them. They may have made a profession of faith in Christ, um, they may have started out in their walk, but we see that there's been a downward progression. We've seen they've deviated away, and they've been captured by the enemy to different degrees in their lives, and we've been praying for them and crying out. And God actually had given Lot a definite warning, a wake-up call. And I believe our Father is allowing that to come into the lives of all of us. I'm going to say all of us, but especially uh, in behalf of the prodigals or especially in behalf of those who may claim to love Christ and walk with Christ in faith, but we're seeing their their lives aren't measuring up. We're seeing that the fruit is at times doesn't look so good. And so God had given a definite warning to him, but unfortunately the experience that Lot had by being captured in the war with the kings did not teach him the evil of being associated with the world, again, the world being a type of Egypt and Babylon and Sodom where he lived, because when he recovered his freedom and his property, Lot again returned back to Sodom like a dog returns to its vomit, right? We pray for loved ones and we see things happen and we pray, God, maybe this will be what will touch my child or will touch my spouse or my friend. And but what happens is often they'll go back to the very place or the situation that afflicted them in the first place. But again, I would say to you and encourage you, keep praying, beloved, because God shows mercy to Lot, and I believe he will show mercy to those that we continue to hold up in prayer. God showed mercy to Lot when he was delivered kings by Abram's sword, right? It was his trained servants. We know that angels work behind the scenes, but we also know the sword is powerful. Uh, it is the word of God. It is sharper than an, a, a two-edged sword. And 
We know that it's able to pierce and divide and it separates thoughts and intents from the heart, joints and marrow, soul and spirit. And so when the word of God is at work, when we present the word of God, beloved, the word of God stands on its own. Uh, If we do our job, if we simply speak what God has said in his word, it will do the work when we pray. This is the second thing that where God really showed mercy to Lot is he was delivered from Sodom's destruction by Abraham's intercession in his behalf. Again, because God is talking to his covenant friends. He is talking to those who are in fellowship and have intimate relations with him, who have heard his voice, haven't had an encounter. Um, we see God's mercy that in, is new every morning. Friends, it is so remarkable. His mercy is new every morning. It was for Lot. It is for us and for those whom we are praying for and holding up. Lot was delivered from the kings through the sword, and he was delivered from Sodom's destruction by Abraham's intercession. So keep playing. Keep praying, beloved. Uh, We're seeing so many similarities today in the days of Lot in which we live. We're seeing people that are are like covenant uh, brothers and sisters to us and people that we know that we can depend on. If you have a friend or a family member or a brother or sister in Christ that you know you can depend upon and their word is their bond, all right, if they are living that life, if they're walking uprightly and if Truly, you are a friend to them. The book of Proverbs tells us that a friend loves at all times. All right? And again, friends don't always have to agree on every little matter, beloved. What matters is we're laying our lives down for one another. We're praying for one another. We're assisting them. And one of the things about um, Abraham that I, I appreciate so very much is he was unselfish, first of all. And he sought God's kingdom before he sought a location, even to live for himself. He was independent of Lot, okay, because Lot is separate. He was independent of Lot, but he was not indifferent to Lot's needs of intercession and rescue. So we're seeing the dynamic here. Two men that walked together at one point, one made some choices, but the one who was the friend of God, the one who was in covenant relationship, who was listening to the voice of God, and God spoke to him, he was not indifferent to his needs. He knew he needed intercession. He knew he needed rescue. And another thing about Abram is that Abram was offered goods from the king of Sodom, but he took nothing from him. He said, I don't want anything from you, uh, king, He said, if I'm going to be blessed, it's going to be the God of heaven, the God that I serve, who will bless me. So we see that Abram could not be bought, all right? He was not moved by the the promise or the gift or the offer of riches or or anything else. He said, no, I'm not going to take even a shoe latchet from your sandal, okay? So that tells us where his heart was. And here's the thing. Abraham had spiritual vision, all right? He saw what others could not see, and his driving motivation was a promise from God. We know at one point God took Abraham out. He said, now lift up your eyes and look this way, that way. He says, as far as you can see, I'm going to give you this land of promise. And as we know as well, he was promised a son from the Lord. So Abraham 
had that promise in his heart. He knew God was leading him to a land. God is leading every single one of us. We uh, can glean portions of, of that, what that land looks like from the word of God. And again, Abraham had spiritual vision. And he separated himself from those who could not see beyond the natural. And so his dwelling became a tent. He lived a detached life following the Lord. He surrendered to God's will. He obeyed the Lord, and he built an altar. And an altar speaks of sacrifice and surrender and worship. He was eventually willing to offer his own son, Isaac. We know about that story in Genesis 22. When we read about Lot's life, we see no mention of an altar at all. We see no mention of sacrifice. And sadly, what we do see with Lot is that as God wants each of us to embark on that process of sanctification, the moment that we hear his voice, Lot could not leave the comfort zones of his past, okay? His natural human tendencies and his behavior uh, hindered him and hinders us from moving forward in our walk with God. So one of the things we can be praying and asking the Lord to do is, Father, take me outside of my comfort zone, what I am familiar with and comfortable with, Lord. Take me out of that comfort zone so that I can completely follow you. And again, God calls Lot and calls us to depart from and separate from the allegiances and the loyalties that we have had towards certain religious systems or traditions or groups of people that he knows will hinder us from um, advancing forward in our walk with God. So again, as we pray, Father, remove from my life any allegiance or any loyalty that I hold to any group, any denomination, any person, any lifestyle where I think where I should live, any entitlement mentality that I have, we want your will, Father, and not our own. And so Lot wasn't able to do this to a large extent. And again, the world system, when, we're, when we come out, when the Lord says, alter the word, come out of her, my people. He's come out of Babylon, again, being a system, but also a city. The world system with its values, its pursuits, its lifestyle, its philosophies and practices, old friendships, um, acquaintances, and people that, um, that we used to hang out with or um, our, our bar buddies or, or people we used to go um, to nightclubs with and all of this. Again, if we have the opportunity to share the gospel, we'll do it. But the lifestyle is what God is asking us to leave. So the comfort zones, we've got to leave those. We've got to leave those allegiances and loyalties that could be harmful to us. We have to leave that worldly system and certainly depart from the works of the flesh. These things have to be severed. They have to be put to death within us. So because the man of the flesh and the man of the spirit cannot dwell together, you have probably known from your own experience in your own life, there are people that the Father has had to um, allow you to part company with because, again, he wants us to remain focused on our assignment, beloved. And God has made promises to every one of us who have been born again, who walk with him. And when Lot was captured, again, they had already parted company, but when Lot was captured, Abraham arose as a conqueror to help Lot 
and his response to his carnal brother was prompt and un, and unselfish. There was no, as I read the account of what happened with the Battle of the Kings and how God um, Abraham came to his rescue, I don't see him belittling him or talking down to him. I told you so. You know, this was a humble man. Abram was humble. And the Bible talks about restoring our brother in the spirit of meekness. The spirit of meekness certainly was on this man who was called the friend of God. Now, one of the things, too, that we're seeing in uh, with Sodom and Gomorrah, as we look at the culture of our own day, we see these thriving, prosperous cities of the plain, right, that were situated in what looked like a beautiful area. For example, a beautiful city, and we have visited it and have been there before, is um, in, in California is San Francisco. But what has happened, this beautiful area uh, now without spiritual prosperity is ending in ruin. You see, sin will turn the most fruitful places into a moral wasteland. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And so where Sodom and Gomorrah were located and when the fire fell and when the brimstone fell, uh, scholars believe that that is today the region of the Dead Sea. So from the studies that I have done, most seem to agree that what used to be a very fertile, beautiful oasis area now is the Dead Sea because nothing is living on it. And even in Deuteronomy 29, 23, and 27, it's recorded, and it's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, all of its land is brimstone and salt. It's a burning waste. It's unsown and unproductive, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to this land? And the answer is because they forsook the covenant of the Lord. And they went and they served other gods and worshipped them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against that land. And in 2 Peter 2, 6-9, we read that God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, who was oppressed by what he saw and heard, and his soul was tormented day after day, then the Lord knows how to do rescue the godly from temptation. Beloved, he knows how to deliver us. He knows how to spare us. Let me tell you that there are people who give their lives to praying. There are people who are interceding before the Lord and holding up men and women and cities and areas and the individuals within nations, their own family members. And God has heard those prayers, and he has stored up their tears in a bottle. God is so merciful. And this is, again, why Jesus has not returned for his faithful church. is because he's waiting for his word to be fulfilled, and he is not willing that any should perish. And so the historical accounts of where Lot lived tells us of the wickedness of those cities. The people were engaging in all sorts of sinful behavior, which included sexual perversion, lust, as we know, violence, theft, and they were known to be especially cruel to travelers and to beggars. And Ezekiel 16 tells us, behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance. Again, it was pride. They had abundance of food, and they had careless ease 
but she did not help the poor and needy. Wow, it sounds a lot like the church of Laodicea. You say you're rich. You say you have this. But Jesus said you're naked, poor, miserable, blind, and naked. And he said, if you don't repent, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. You know, we see the downfall, the downward turn in what we call the culture of churchianity, which has, for the most part, uh, in, enter, allowed so much um, compromise. And as it was true with Lot, and again, he was being ostracized uh, before the harpazo, before the Lord Jesus descends into the air to catch away his faithful church. Before this happens, God's people will either sell out or be ostracized and then targeted. So we're seeing the compromise that has entered. And Jesus prophesied about it at the church of Laodicea. Again, he wants communion. He wants to sup. He said, if you open the door, I will come in and sup with you. And this is what's happening now is we're watching this. At the end of this age, as it was with Lot, God's people will be socially cut off, hated, and surrounded. We're going to see more mob violence. We know this is coming. We've seen enough uprisings, but there's more coming. And even though God does and can, he does it, he can save people, and he does save souls out of a homosexual lifestyle, but aside from repentance, they will be given over to a reprobate lifestyle, which is an abomination to the Lord. Now, the first time that, as I mentioned, as the scriptures speak of homosexuality was when Lot encountered them when the angels came to his house. And the wicked men, we were told in scripture, were blinded by the angels of the Lord. Now, they're already spiritually blind, but because of their actions against the ones who were going to be rescued, they were blinded by the angels of the Lord. But what it is showing us here is even in their blindness, and this is a truth today, even in the blindness of the culture of wickedness, they still tried to force their way into Lot's house in order to gratify a perverted lust. So we are seeing increasing violence. We are seeing an increase in hatred of God's people. And when God, when Lot closed the door to his house, it did not remain closed. But when the angels of the Lord closed the door, it did remain closed. And this is similar to as with Noah, God shut the door to the ark. And you can go back and read and look in Genesis 19. You'll see that these, when the angels closed the door, it stayed closed. And that's in um, Genesis 19:10, and as we know, angels were dispatched to unleash divine judgment at the time of Lot's rescue, and angels will once again be sent to unleash divine judgment. And in Revelation and in Genesis 19:22, we see that the angels would do nothing until the safety of God's people was secured. Now I want to talk for a minute about Lot's family members. Because the days of Lot, again, reflect our own day. And Jesus warned that families would be divided, didn't he? He talked about the separation that would come. And 
what we're seeing is that separations do come between family members and friends. Uh, we know that Abraham, of course, and Lot were separated from one another. And uh, that Jesus said that the sword will bring a separation in families. He said, don't think that I came to bring peace. He said, I came to bring a sword. And he talked about the fact that he said, I've come for judgment. For judgment, he said, I am come. And how I wish it was that fire was already kindled. Jesus is wanting to return, and he is wanting justice, just as those of us who walk with Christ. We want justice. We want equity. But again, a political party cannot do it. A presidential candidate cannot do it. We are not going to have justice until the king himself returns and establishes righteousness in the earth. So with the separations that we're seeing in family members, God put this all through his book, friends. Abraham and Lot were separated. Isaac and Ishmael were separated. Jacob and Esau were separated. Uh, Joseph and his brethren were separated. And this was painful for every one of them. And it's painful for us when we know there's a separation and we see God do it. We have to know that this is how God um, protects us from many things. The sword brings that separation, and Jesus defines family members as his own true brethren. He did that in Matthew 12. He said, who is my father, my mother, my sister, my brother? And he pointed to his disciples. He says, this is my family, those that do the will of the Father in heaven. We see wise and foolish virgins being separated, all right? So, even as Jesus warned that families would be divided, we're finding also in trying to have conversations with fellow brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us that Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables, but Jesus reveals mysteries to his disciples who are intimate with him, right? The Bible tells us that the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. We also are realizing, and the Lord has drawn some lines for me uh, with some of the ministries that I used to follow. And I'm finding that he's making it clear to me the difference between true messengers and false messengers. And we know from how we've talked, the separation that was between Elijah, who stood alone against 450 false prophets of Baal. I tell you what, the true messengers, beloved, are, are few and far between. And many who are announcing events and, and again, talking about what's happening in our culture, uh, I would strongly urge you to pray and ask the Lord who you are listening to because there's so much confusion. It, uh, it creates in, in the minds of people a fear and a panic. But if we are truly listening to the Lord, God is going to give us grace and say, no, can't you see what I said in my word? Peace be unto you. I will never leave you or forsake you. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good fear of overcome the world. Gee, you'll be hearing this from the Lord Jesus, but there are some that offer no hope. They simply are reporting bad news. They are reporting speculation, and they are reporting what they have heard many times, second and third hand. Friends, let's get it firsthand from the Lord, from his word. Can we do that? Can we make a concerted effort to come out from the multitudes who don't understand what they're hearing and be alone with Jesus because it says when they were alone with him, 
okay? He explained the mysteries. Again, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. So with Lot's uncle Abraham, as we mentioned, we see that he always put God's kingdom first. He did not put the kingdom of darkness first. He did not put conspiracy theories first. He sought first the kingdom. Now, again, let's qualify this. Let's be balanced and say we need to know what the enemy is doing because God gave Abraham battle strategy when these kings were defeated. So God gives strategy, and he will show his people what is going on and what their strategy is to be. But again, even Abraham had to separate from those who couldn't see beyond the natural. And a frustration that I have experienced, and perhaps you have as well, is we try to meet people at that place of natural events, of what we're hearing on the news, what we may be reading in the Internet, but some cannot receive the things of the Spirit, beloved, okay? They cannot hear the voice of God because too many other voices are clamoring for their attention and because, in fact, they are not spending that time in the Word of God, which will separate truth from fiction. You see, Abraham's dwelling became a tent. He was living a detached life. He kept moving. God said, now we're going to move here. We're going to stop. And again, this journey was taking him closer and closer to that altar and that place of promise. So Abraham, who lived during that time of Lot, who had interacted with him, surrendered to the will of God. He obeyed the Lord. He built that altar. He sacrificed, not just in in his own behalf, but when God told him, I'm making you the father of many nations, again, he saw that nations were in his loins. I don't know how it happened, but as I was reading about how God took Abraham one night outside of his tent and he began to show him some things, he saw again in the spirit, he saw a city whose builder and maker was God. He believed God at his word. He said, I'm going to follow you every step of this journey, Lord God. He worshiped. He surrendered. And we know that his final act of worship was when he took his own son, Isaac, up to that mount that day. But the faith of this man of God, when he told the men at the base of that mount, he said, stay here. The lad and I are going up to worship, and we will return again. What remarkable faith this man had, and yet we see his human nature also when he went down to Egypt, when he disobeyed and even lied about his wife, we see the humanness of this man, but we also see that he came back and he refocused and he kept listening to the voice of the Lord and God brought him to that place of promise. Now I want to talk a minute about Lot's wife. Uh, Lot's wife looked back or turned back and we read about this in Genesis 19 when the fire fell from heaven, when the angels came to Lot, to his wife, to his house, and took his daughters, and as they fled, they told him, we can't do anything until we get you out. We know what the instructions of the word of the Lord was through the angels. Don't look back. Don't turn back. And we know that that's what Lot's wife did. She looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And This is a clear indicator that she was wanting to go back. Her heart was in Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's important that we understand when Jesus said 
in Luke 17:32, he said three words. He said, remember Lot's wife. A pillar within biblical imagery, okay, so if there was a pillar or a column set up in biblical days, it was intended to remind future generations of something of spiritual significance. In other words, a pivotal event of what happened there. There's a reason that, that Jesus used that word pillar. And, and we look in um, God's word in the Old Testament, they would set up memorial stones and they actually formed a pillar. So these actually pointed to very pivotal events in Israel's history. But Jesus made it clear with just three, three words. Boy, that speaks volumes to me. Remember Lot's wife. She was literally on the way to being rescued, but by a, a choice of her own will, at probably after many other poor choices, because generally a few poor choices will lead to a larger poor choice, and it took her life. She was not saved. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus warned us not to turn back or to go back, and that's in Matthew 24:15 and 18, and he said, in fact, he said, if you are on the housetop, do not go in to get your possessions. So he was talking about those who would have an obsession with temporal priorities or with blessings. God blesses us immensely. But what he was saying is, at that moment, when you see the abomination of desolation, he was giving instructions, he was giving a warning. If you're on the housetop, don't go in to get your possessions. Basically, the angels told Lot and his family, don't take your possessions, just get out. There was such an urgency there. Why? Because we know an obsession with temporal blessings, temporal priorities can cause us to lose sight of our spiritual destiny. And again, this is hard when we try to talk to people and they're immersed in their lifestyles. And again, we've all, probably the majority of us I'm talking to have either raised families or are raising families. We go to work, we go about our business, and we do what we have to do in our living. But again, knowing that we don't live to work, we do have to work to make an income, right? We we are have to be about our father's business. We have to be working, but we can't lose sight of our spiritual destiny, beloved. We're just going to have to let go of some things. We're simply going to have to release some priorities or things that have robbed us of time that could be perhaps better utilized in other ways. And the Lord will show each of us what that looks like. All right, there may be things that uh, are a blessing to us. And I want to talk about the next thing Jesus said. He said, if you're in the field, so in other words, don't look back or don't turn back if you are in the field. And so if we use that terminology, if we are a laborer in the Lord's vineyard, the field, right? The field is the world. Do not return for your cloak. And in scripture, cloak is symbolic of a mantle in ministry. So what Jesus was saying is, don't allow that ministry to become an idol. If I am calling you in a different direction, you have to be willing to let it go. Because, beloved, it's not about ministry. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ and the ministry that is an outflow as a result of that relationship that we have with him, having walked with him, having learned from him, having uh, 
been immersed in the word of God because he tells us to meditate in the word day and night. Beloved, we have to come back to the word of God. It's the only thing that's going to give us peace is the Lord speaking to us through his word by the power of his Holy Spirit and not allowing all of these reports that we're being bombarded with. And my goodness, reports that are coming, the bad news that is coming, and what we're being told by people, some by prognosticators, some by some that are just not walking with Christ, but they're saying things, and some of it, frankly, is not correct. It's speculation. Now, Jesus is going to fulfill his word, no doubt about it. He is going to allow iniquity to be filled up. He is going to allow uh, what he has written in his word to transpire, but not everything we are hearing is necessarily in his word. We have to ask the Lord to help us to rightly divide the word of truth. And if we're not in his word, why did God say to meditate in the word day and night? Because he wants us to come back and balance everything within the parameters of his word. So if you're in the field as a laborer in the vineyard, and Jesus said, don't even return for your cloak. In other words, the ministry isn't the priority right now. The ministry is hearing from the voice of the Lord and walking in obedience. Sometimes we're going to have to let go of some commitments that we have made, okay? And this is hard to do because what we what happens is we see a measure of how God has used us. We see lives being touched. We see some fruit. But, beloved, again, our lives are not our own, all right? And because here what happens is ministry can become an idol, all right, and where the work of the Lord becomes more important than the Lord of the work. And through my own experiences, we've, my husband and I have met many couples and watched many people. We have seen families suffer because homes are out of order, because husbands and wives are becoming unfaithful to one another, because children have absent daddies or mommies because they're too busy doing things. They don't have time to help them. And I I can remember, I want to use an example of something that I learned many, many years ago as a very new Christian in the Lord, Uh, a lady who was the head of the women's ministry where I was sitting, again, a young Christian in the Lord, just sitting in a Bible study, and her husband was unsaved. And all she could talk about was her ministry. Everything in her life was what she could do and perform. So there was a religious performance mentality that was driving her. Her marriage eventually crumbled, and her children, she was talking about her children. How can I say this, Lord? Help me to be accurate. Were distractions from her ministry. What I'm saying is that there are people, and all of us certainly have probably been guilty of this, where our priorities get out of order, okay? God wants his children's families to be in order. He wants the little ones in our home to know that mommy and daddy love them, that we care for them. Our work is not our whole life. They are an important part of our lives. Beloved, as long as our children are in our home, you must make the investment of time spent with little ones. Now, I know some have to work one and two jobs, and it's demanding. There was a time in our married life when my husband was was commuting to work two, two and a half hours each way back and forth to work. And sometimes it took him three hours to get home from work. And during that season in our lives, it was 
it was like being a single mom. And the weekends were the times that we got together. And I know that parents have to make, uh, we have to make sacrifices. I get that. But what I'm trying to tell you is I've seen the fallout that comes from divorce and families. I've seen the fallout that comes when priorities aren't right, when the communication isn't there, when children or spouses are feeling, my husband doesn't really care about me. All he cares about is his work all the time. Or my wife doesn't really care about me. All she cares about is the money that I bring home. Beloved, what really matters on this side of the veil, I'll tell you what matters is relationships. Relationships that we make, that we work at, that we try to make, um, as the word of God says, as much as possible, live at peace with all men, okay? So Jesus wants unity in the homes. He wants unity among the brethren. He doesn't want strife in the homes. Abraham got it. He said, you know the world's watching us. We don't want to be hypocrites here, saying one thing and doing another. Jesus wants healthy families. Now, I know I'm talking to people whose lives have been devastated and God has removed your spouse from you for whatever reason. Here's the thing. Some of us are still raising children. Some of us are caring for aging parents. Some of us are caring for other people uh, that we live with, that we know we have a responsibility toward. Beloved, do as much as you can to keep unity there, okay? I, I, I hadn't planned on going down there, but perhaps the Lord wanted us to talk about that. So when we look at Lot's wife, and Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. He said, if you're on the housetop, don't even worry about your possessions, okay? If you're in the field, be willing, if you have to, to say, you know, I have to drop this responsibility in ministry. Know that God will begin to speak to you about that. If he's calling you, for example, to more time in prayer or more time out sharing the gospel or perhaps mission trips, whatever it is that you kind of sense, it's like kind of like he's just uh, tapping on your shoulder and putting some ideas in. Be willing to let go of blessings that you've known for the new blessing that lies ahead. Now, I want to talk a minute about Lot's sons-in-law. These sons-in-law-to-be, okay, they were engaged to Lot's daughters. These were men who were outside of this house, and these are a type of those who profess to be a part of God's family, but are actually out in the world and are quite content to be there, okay? And so these sons-in-law that Lot had are a type of those who are out of fellowship with other believers, or they're following bad leaders with false doctrine who are oblivious to end-time prophecy and are belittling the belief of the harpazo, the rescue mission. Beloved, Jesus is coming and he will snatch us up and out of this mess. And the day of the Lord begins, which is the day of God's wrath. We are not appointed to wrath. We will walk through tribulation, trials, testing, suffering, and all of these things that Jesus has been warning us about. But there are ministries that will not teach from the book of Revelation. They won't touch the book of Daniel. They won't touch uh, or talk about Zechariah or end-time events. And there is one ministry here in Southern California that has said, don't even talk about it. It's confusing. So 
You see, there are clearly shepherds that are bad shepherds that either are not preparing their flocks, they will not address end-time prophecy, they will not event, uh, address events that are happening now and tie them back to the Word of God. And sadly, instead, the people are being entertained or they're speaking smooth words. We've talked about this many times before. So the sons-in-law-to-be were outside the house. And this group of people who are like the sons-in-law are like professing Christians who may say they are believers. Yeah, we believe. But when they are alerted that judgment is about to fall, that divine judgment is coming, that war is at hand because war was happening in the days of Lot, okay? When they are alerted that judgment is about to fall, they think it's a joke. That's exactly actually what happened in Genesis 19:14. It says that the sons-in-law were actually mocking him. They thought he was joking. So you see, that tells us that with these particular individuals, they were outside the house of fellowship, and had they had a relationship with believers, they would have known judgment is coming. So many professing Christians are making fun of the rescue mission instead of being inside the house preparing for rescue. There's a reason it's recorded in God's book. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some, but we are to come together, the word of God tells us, especially as we see the day approaching. Now, Lot's daughters, at the time of the rescue, we know what happened to Lot's wife, but Lot's daughters, along with Lot, fled to a place called Zoar, and that's in Genesis 19.30. But we have a couple of ladies here, again, who are living a carnal lifestyle, or Perhaps they thought it was the end of the world and they would never have children. We don't know what went through the minds of these two young ladies. Nevertheless, they weren't listening to the voice of the Lord here. So what the scripture has recorded for us was an incident of incest. They got their father Lot drunk. They slept with him and each of the daughters conceived. All right? You get the picture. So the Lord has recorded the incest that happened, and two children were produced as a result of this event. Uh, One of the daughters produced a son by the name of Moab, and Moab was the father of the Moabites, who were idolatrous, superstitious people. They were at ease, and they were proud. You can read about them in Jeremiah 48. And when I look at this, I'm thinking to myself, okay, the days of Noah, what does this sound like? They were idolatrous. They were at ease. They were proud. Sounds like the church of Laodicea. The Bible talks about in Jeremiah 48, 1 to 29, you can go back later and take a look at it. We find it said that they had settled on their lees. In other words, in the process of um, winemaking, Uh, Wine had to be filtered and poured out through many different fine vessels um, to refine uh, and take the dregs out out of the wine. So this portion of scripture in Jeremiah 48 talked about the uh, separation that had to take place between the lees or the sediment and the wine itself. 
So there was no separation there. So basically what the Lord said through Jeremiah uh, about the Moabites, who was sadly um, Lot's uh, grandson, is that you have not been poured out from vessel to vessel. Your taste has not changed. So the Lord talks about a people who may profess something, but God says, I see no change in the character. I don't see the clarity that I expect by enduring the the separation process, which we all have to go through and which wine goes through to become wine. And so uh, he said they're at ease. Uh, They have settled on their lees. Uh, They have not been poured out from vessel to vessel. The Lord said, therefore, your scent has not changed. Again, Jesus um, is not impressed by the words so much that we speak as he's impressed with the life we are actually living when nobody else but him can see it. He wants good fruit, beloved. He wants us to produce fruit. And so, sadly, Lot was the unwilling father of a young man named Noah, Moab, and then the other one that was born through incest was Ben-Ami. And Ben-Ami produced the Ammonites. Now, the Ammonites were also involved in idolatry. And the Ammonites were cruel. They were proud. They were callous. And they were like, en- they were enemies of Israel. And so we see the very sad story and the lot and the loss that Lot incurred through a series of choices. But praise God, God did show him mercy, beloved. And again, when there's idolatry in the heart, we don't see it. God has to show us these things, beloved. And you know, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth will speak. And so when you have a conversation with a person For 10, 15 minutes, you're probably going to get a good idea of where their priorities are. Jesus will bring people into our lives. And again, iron sharpens iron. And we want to be there to help our brothers and sisters. And we want to be used by the Lord, hopefully, to help them to look beyond something temporal to something eternal. And this is something that Abraham had. He could see something that others could not see. He walked by faith and exchanged the life of Babylon for the liberty of Canaan. And an altar is associated with Abraham several times as we read in God's word in the Old Testament. And so the Lord is looking for separation from other altars in our life, Uh, our sensual gratification, what our entitlements are, what we think we deserve. Uh, He wants to separate us from the altars of sensual gratification and pagan practices and fleshly addictions and all of these things. When we read about Lot, there's nothing written there in his life with regard to an altar to the Lord. There was no witnessing for God and no blessing of God upon Lot's life. And his testimony lacked salt and light. He lost his moral influence as a preservative in the fallen world, and his words carried no weight because of his ways. We see that this is what happened with the sons-in-law. They mocked him. They laughed. They thought he was telling a joke. And so Lot's life at that time was powerless before the people. His sons-in-law and his friends were destroyed in Sodom. His wife looked back, and she was turned to a pillar of salt. 
And though the Bible tells us Lot was a just man, and we know that he had faith initially as he left with Abram when he came out of the Babylonian society, we see that he was declared just. We see that God said he was righteous. But what had happened was he had sown so much to the flesh that he suffered loss. And I want to read to you something out of 1 Corinthians 3. Starting at verse 13, this is something that I heard recently from a wonderful man of God, and the Lord had confirmed it to me when I was studying. He said, bring this to my people, so I know it's on the Lord's heart. 1 Corinthians 3.13, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon remains, he will receive a reward. But if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet as by fire. And this is what we see about Lot. We see that he was saved. He was snatched as a brand from the burning, and Jude 23 talks about it, uh, even hating the garment spotted by the flesh and snatching, as it were, people from the fire. And there are times in our lives that God will give us that opportunity where he will perhaps allow us to snatch them from the fire if they receive that word and they truly are repentant. Praise God for his mercy, beloved. He is incredibly merciful. Now, I want to comment and talk just briefly just for a minute, about Abram's meeting with a man by the name of Melchizedek. Because again, this happened right after Abraham had rescued Lot and defeated the heathen king. So again, there's war going on during the time of Lot's uh, rescue, his first rescue, right? Abram had brought restoration and deliverance to others. We can read about that later in Genesis 14. And immediately after these events, as I mentioned earlier, the king of Sodom went out to meet Abraham and wanted to offer him goods. He said no. But then something remarkable happens. And again, I see this was during the days of Lot. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Abraham was approached a man by the name of Melchizedek. And again, because it's in God's word, the Lord said, go back to the book of beginnings. This is a pattern. And so all I'm doing is reading you, reading to you and um, reporting to you what had happened here. Abraham meets Melchizedek, who was king of Salem. Again, Salem, Jerusalem. And that means peace. He was king of peace. And he gave him bread and wine. And so we see this in Genesis 14:18. So here's an invitation for a deepening covenant relationship to partake of communion, intimacy, and fellowship. Now, many scholars believe that uh, this Melchizedek was a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And scripture tells us that this man had no genealogy. He had no father and mother. So what we're seeing here is a picture of the ancient of days, praise God, prophesying to Abraham, who was a friend of God, inviting him to feed and eat that which will strengthen him so that he may receive a full inheritance. Beloved, 
because God put it in his word, because Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, Uncle Abraham, right after rescuing Lot, right after coming to his aid, meets Melchizedek, is introduced to a Christophany, one who was like Christ, saying here, I want you to have a full inheritance. And the Bible talks about Lot. We know that he suffered loss. The Bible also talks about some who had a partial inheritance. But I believe the Lord Jesus is coming to his friends now, his covenant people who are showing mercy to their carnal brethren, who are interceding day and night, who are moving toward that mount, who are preparing to meet the Lord himself. I believe Jesus is doing this even now. Uh, With the invitation of the bread and the wine, this is a picture of communion. And we know that Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. And Jesus said, remember what Jesus said, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, right, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He said, my flesh is meat indeed. My blood is drink indeed. And Jesus said, eat and drink all of it. I believe the Lord is wanting to say, I am offering a full inheritance. I have a kingdom of priests. I have a a people upon the earth now who are being prepared for their inheritance. And I want you to come to that place as the priests used to do in the Old Testament. There was a table of showbread. Jesus is coming forth now. Overcomers are emerging, beloved. There's passing tests. And if if you're facing a test, beloved, remember, it's just an opportunity to pass another test. As you feed on his bread and wine, on the very life and substance of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are being strengthened. Beloved, remember, we must sit with him first at his table in communion before we can sit with him in his throne. And when we talk about the Melchizedek ministry, we talk about what this man represented. We know that this is a high priestly ministry. We know the Old Testament talks about the Zadok ministry. We know that Jesus talked about and and said uh, he has a nation. He said, I have a people who are kings and priests unto God. First Peter 2 talked about the royal priesthood. And so I see that there's a reason that this was recorded to us, that this man who was called the friend of God, having an encounter with Christ, uh, supping at communion, and this man revealing himself to Abraham after this battle of the kings, I believe is highly prophetic. And it's, I think, something that we cannot ignore, that we have to look at and consider as we are dealing with the separations, as we are walking through these trials and these testing and the testings that we're going through, we are seeing that there is a prophetic assignment. There is a priestly assignment and there is a kingly assignment associated with this priesthood who is spoken of of Jesus. For thou have a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. But beloved, the prophetic assignment now for the people of God is to declare God unto men. And when the Lord gives words of wisdom, 
when he gives words of knowledge, when he declares, thus says the Lord, this is what I am about to do, it always, and I'm going to say it again, I'm going to underline it, it always will line up with the word of God because true prophetic ministry communicates and reveals God's thoughts, his plans, his actions, and his intentions and declares God unto men. The priestly assignment brings men unto God. So if we're talking about this Melchizedek ministry, we're going to see some aspects of it in Jesus. And those who are in him, in fellowship with him, are going to see this as true. The priestly assignment is to bring men unto God. So this aspect of the priestly assignment means that it offers sacrifices, sacrifices of prayer and giving and worship. It involves salvation and atonement and healing and deliverance. That's the priestly assignment. But, beloved, the kingly assignment is the, is the final one. The kingly assignment rules with authority. And when Jesus steps onto that Mount of Olives, when he establishes his kingdom, when he fixes this mess, he will have a group of people who are taking authority over the wickedness in their own lives first, removing every idol, walking in complete obedience, leaving their boundaries, leaving their past behind, because you see the kingly assignment rules with authority. It has influence in the throne room. It understands the law of the scepter. It exercises dominion. It utilizes strategy. It has the right to govern and administer God's justice. And this is what we all want, beloved. But right now, it's training time for those who are going to reign with Christ. And we see this revealed to us in the days of Lot. Jesus put this in his book so that those of us who are his disciples, who study his word, can see that there's a reason this happened after the battle of the kings. There's a prophetic assignment, a priestly assignment. And for those who will rule and reign with Christ, they're ruling over their own life now. They're dealing with carnalities. They're walking in obedience as a friend of God. And they have influence in the throne room. They know how to lay hold of God and how to reach him. And in the millennial kingdom, we will see the exercising of the dominion of Jesus Christ. We will see how God now is teaching strategy and how he's preparing uh, kings who are going to rule and reign with him. And they, those are the ones who will have the right to govern and administer God's justice. This will be a ministry of restoration. God's city and his temple will be rebuilt, refurbished, and restored. To him be the glory and the honor. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're waiting for you. God bless you, beloved. And thank you, John. 
Praise God. Awesome, awesome message. Very uplifting and extremely relevant to the days that we're in right now because, well, I think it's reasonable based upon empirical information that aligns, you know, very nicely with uh, what Jesus warned us about today, uh, where we are uh, to some degree in the uh, end times timeline. And uh, if the Lord doesn't jump in uh, with judgments and delay or change the current trend, uh, then uh, we have a pretty good idea of, uh, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, amount of time that we have before things get real bumpy. But anyway, praise God for such a powerful message that uh, helps us to understand the the importance and the intimacy of the relationship that we need to have with Jesus. Um, Don't forget, folks, I mean, really, James put it probably as bluntly as it is anywhere in the Bible, those who are friends with the earth are at enmity with God, and you don't want to be at enmity with your heavenly father, especially now, praise God. So anyway, just, you know, little by little, I see the Lord teaching me things, teaching other people things, and we're all kind of like learning uh, some of the lessons that uh, Sister Terry has already experienced herself to let things go and to recognize, you know, just keep on remembering that the thing, the things that you see around us, the creature comforts that we have around us, it's all temporal. We can't take any of it with us. So let's just go ahead and lift our hands and praise to the king and be ready for, I believe, our imminent departure. I don't know how long, but I believe that we are definitely in the fig tree, uh, you know, generation, um, the Luke twenty-one thirty-six time. And I just praise God for every awakening, every thing that we've all gone through, all the trials, the tribulations, the things that, that Terry is uh, bringing forward for us to embrace uh, through the uh, typology uh, and the foreshadowing that she's referring to because it's so relevant today and we I don't think we have an awful lot of time left I mean that's just my hunch so take it to the Lord, and of course the Lord is in control. Don't forget about the uh, the priest of Baal uh, story in the Bible. So again, we're all standing by to see what God's will is. But just you know, intimacy with Jesus is more important now than ever before. It's always been important, but I think right now we need to step it up. Uh, whatever we need to do. And to Terry's point earlier, we know if you have kids, you, you know if you got th- you know I know people that have three, four little boys, and they are incredibly demanding and and the wives are you know not really believers not like we are and so that makes life exceedingly hard uh, for those who want to increase their intimacy with the Lord and uh, you know our prayers should be for one another uh, because not all of us are blessed in the same way and those prayers bring down power that is far more significant and meaningful uh, than than any um, human actions could be Uh, and praise God for this awesome message that aligns to all the things that we need to know uh, especially today with the encouragement that is required to be able to endure, uh, you know, the daily uh, turmoil and trials. So thank you so much, Terry, always uh, for joining us tonight. God bless you. Thank you, John. God bless you, too. 
God bless you all for joining us. Thank you so much. And I love Terry's shows. I know you do, too. Um, Again, a word in due season. That's just just like it sounds. A-W-O-R-D-D-U-E season, S-E-A-S-O-N at gmail.com and uh terry for real i mean she's the real deal her and her husband bud they actually do lift people up in prayer and they you know if you are if you disclose to them the problems and the challenges that you're going through they will target that in their prayers on your behalf so it's worth its weight in absolute platinum gold Take your pick. Praise Jesus. So reach out to her. And also that's uh, uh, a word in due season dot com is also the, the her website. So, again, it's a uh, how what's the first part of the Gmail thing again? Uh, uh, word in due season seven, seven, seven. Or how's it go? The G- yes, or, um, to, to uh, get be, you through by email. Yeah. Email is a word in due season seven, seven, seven at Gmail dot com. Folks, take advantage of it. I mean, really, we all, it it even says in the scripture, you know, and I I think this is important for all of us, especially now, because we're all in different situations and we all have weaknesses, strengths, blessings that others don't have. And, and as part of the body of Christ, we are, you know, scripturally admonished to be one. In one accord, uh, and First Samuel uh, twelve twenty three says, "Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you." And let's just make sure that we set aside that extra chunk of time in the morning, uh, whatever it takes to be intimate, take communion, talk to the Lord, share with him your problems, make a real relationship and pray for one another. Pray always to be found worthy to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. And how apropos that that scripture, Luke twenty-one thirty-six, occurs right after the fig tree generation parable. So praise God. Thank you, Jesus, folks. It looks like we're getting closer. Don't know how close, but it sure does look like we're getting an awful lot closer than uh, uh, anything I've ever seen in the last 12 years. So God bless you all. Stand strong. And listen to this message over and over again if you have the time. Praise Jesus. Thank you, Sister Terry, so much for joining us tonight. We'll see you at uh, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. God bless you all. Thank you, Terry. Amen. All right. God bless you all. We'll see you then, Lord willing.
I shall lift my obedient children to the clouds, for they shall see my glory.